It's Friday night. You've worked your fingers to the bone all week, so you decide to treat yourself to a VHS. You venture down the shop aisles, scan shelf after shelf of vivid, flashy cassette tape boxes, until one particular graphic cover catches your eye. It depicts a woman, desperately clawing her way out of the earth, reaching up to the heavens as the hand of some demonic creature bursts out from below, grabbing her by the throat, intent on dragging her down into hell. You're curious, and you're in the mood for horror, so you decide to rent out The Evil Dead. Once home, you pop the tape into the VHS player, begin to watch, and you hear a knock on the door. It's the police. They inform you you're in possession of illegal explicit material and you can be prosecuted for having such a thing in your home. You're in possession of a video nasty. This was the reality for residents in the UK during the early 1980s. Margaret Thatcher as Prime Minister was trying to restore Victorian values back into society and the rise of the video nasty was a slap in the face against this ideology. It was a dark time for us horror heads, which we will explore in today's episode. Greetings, my compares. I'm James Reese, and welcome to Scaring Sam. Mine is Sam. Yes, it's just me this week. Sam is having a soothing bath, running through endless lavender fields and meditating on top of Mount Snowdonia. Every so often, my girlfriend requires a break from watching horror movies. She's not like us. Not yet, anyway. And to her credit, she's been a real trooper up to this point. Watching Chucky and Arachnophobia back-to-back That took real force of will on her behalf. Seriously, she really hates spiders and that little ginger bastard. So while Sam recuperates, we're exploring the history of video nasties. Now, this is new for me, so guys, let me know what you think of this type of episode, as I'm sure there'll be more down the line. So let's dive in, shall we? The phrase video nasty was advocated by the National Viewers and Listeners Association, an organisation which campaigned against media content that it deemed as harmful and offensive. And what is a video nasty, you may ask? Imagine buckets of gore, cannibalism, drills being burrowed into people's heads. Some of you are likely thinking, sounds like my typical Friday night movie, and you're not wrong. In the early 80s, the field of home entertainment was essentially like the lawless Wild West. The market was unregulated, and with major film distributors avoiding VHS for fear of piracy, rental shops are overrun with trashy, low-budget horror films. Sounds like heaven. Such films didn't have big-name stars attached, so they had to resort to desperate measures to grab the public's attention. Distributor Go Video sent out a copy of its release, Cannibal Holocaust, along with a fake letter of outrage. They hoped the controversy would generate media coverage, what they didn't expect by stirring the shit was a full-blown moral panic that followed. Adding fuel to the dumpster fire, full-page advertisements were taken out for the driller killer. 
whose explicit cover art resulted in a wide number of complaints. This only added to the mass hysteria surrounding the video nasties movement and the witch hunt that followed. Despite being successfully prosecuted, the driller killer is quite tame compared to some of the other nasties. It's interesting to note that the film now resides in the public domain. Ironically, the film that first sparked the moral panic that swept through the nation can freely be used by anyone without permission. In 1982, the Sunday Times made the public aware of the situation with an article titled How High Street Horror is Invading the Home. Much like today's popular culture, video nasties were blamed for violent crimes amongst the youth. Time is a flat circle, my friends. The following year, during the Tories' party conference, a highlight reel for these horrors was shown to these politicians by the NVALA's founder, Mary Whitehouse, or as I like to call her, the OG Karen, the Uber Karen. Following this, a list of 72 films was made to assist the police in seizing these titles considered obscene under the Obscene Publication Act of 1959. Police raids on video rental shops became more frequent. The nasties' notoriety only increased their popularity, because of course it would. You made them forbidden fruit. What did you think would happen? Fortunately, the government provided a handy list of titles to seek out. Before the internet and eBay, horror heads connected and procured through clubs, fanzines and traded tapes in classified ads. Though these copies smuggled into the UK were often poor in quality, with blurry visuals and muffled sound, adding to the excitement of possessing something seedy and forbidden. Take the Evil Dead, which Whitehouse dubbed the number one nasty. Despite being on the list, it still became the year's best-selling video release, but this came at a price. Due to its notorious reputation, The Evil Dead didn't get an official 18 rating, and therefore an official release in the UK, until 1990, and this came after significant cuts were made to the film, notably the infamous tree rape scene. It wasn't until 2001, with changing standards in society, the uncut version was finally released. You heard me right. It took until 2001 before we could get to see the full version in the UK. This is by no means the exception. When I bought the Evil Dead box set way back in 2003, I had already seen Evil Dead 2 and loved the slapstick gore and Bruce Campbell's manic performance. But I was reluctant to watch the original. The uncut version felt like the Necronomicon in my hands. Something seedy and wrong, with untold horrors and forbidden knowledge contained inside. When I finally plucked up the courage to watch it, I discovered nothing more than an ambitious, yet clearly low-budget horror, which paled in comparison to the gore in the sequel. The controversy surrounding it really wasn't justified at all. What followed was the Video Recordings Act of 1984, which made the British Board of Film Classification responsible for the certification of both cinema and video releases. All films released on video before 1985 had a deadline of three years to be resubmitted. Unfortunately, The Exorcist was not submitted and was pulled from the shelves in 1986 until it finally got a rating and returned in 1999. Some films have never returned to the UK as a result of missing this deadline. Blood Rights, Fight For Your Life, The Beast In Heat and Snuff are just a small example of titles that will likely never see the light of day again. God, calling your film The Beast in Heat is a bold move. That's either the greatest film ever made or the biggest pile of shit you've seen. There is no medium. A number of notable filmmakers' work crop up in the video nasty list. Dario Argento is the biggest repeat offender, 
with four of his films listed. Suspiria, seriously, Tenenbrah, Inferno and Deep Red, all eventually released in the late 90s and noughties. George Romero and Lucio Fauci tie in second place with three films each. Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead and Martin, released in the 90s and noughties. The House by the Cemetery, Zombie Flesh Eaters and The Beyond, all released uncut in the noughties. Wes Craven and David Cronenberg tie third place with Last House on the Left, no surprises there, and The Hills Have Eyes, both released in the early noughties, whereas Raybid and Scanners both passed uncut in the late 80s, early 90s. What's the lesson we can take from all this? In 97, the BBFC boasted their guidelines remain the strictest in the world. It's this stiff upper lip attitude of maintaining order and upholding the old ways which remains among the powers that be in the UK. Something I can happily say I've never seen amongst the people I know. The liberal everyday Joes. The working class who these laws impact the most. You see this all the time. The divide between the government and its people is so wide that they no longer have any grasp of what we want, yet they believe they know what we need. They constantly blame horror movies, rap music, video games, you name it, as a reason behind increased violence amongst the youth, because they can't imagine the lives these demographics have. They've never experienced growing up in a working class town and what that entails, so they patronise us for speculating something as simple as a gory horror movie could incite violence amongst us. And we're the ones who suffer for that wrongful belief. Guys, in the UK, we didn't get the full unrated version of Friday the 13th until two 2003. That's absurd. In the same year, House of a Thousand Corpses was released in the cinema. Friday the 13th is so tame in comparison to that movie. By the mid-80s, the first Friday was tame compared to the majority of horrors coming out then. It's stupid we had to wait to see the full version until 2003. Even for liberals back in the 80s, Mary Whitehouse was considered a reactionary, deeply devoted to her faith. Whitehouse opposed the rapid upheaval in social changes of the 60s, which she felt would lead to a far more permissive society. Her traditional Christian beliefs and moral convictions constantly led to clashes with supporters of feminism, gay rights and children's rights. She founded the MVAL in 1965, using it primarily to attack the BBC for its alleged lack of wholesomeness. By criticising the likes of Doctor Who, Benny Hill, even successfully banning Alice Cooper from appearing on top of the pops, Whitehouse became an object of ridicule in the eyes of the media. However, unlike most Karens raging against the world, Whitehouse's actions actually impacted society. By the 80s, she found a strong ally in Margaret Thatcher and her government. Her actions are believed to have led to the passage of the 1978 Protection of Children Act, the Indecent Displays Control Act of 1981, and the aforementioned Video Recordings Act of 1984. Whitehouse was quoted to say, I have never seen a video nasty. I wouldn't. God bless you, Mary Whitehouse. You remain an inspiration to all Karens to this day. You know, seeing these banned films finally let loose, having these naughty uncut VHS in your hands, it mystifies them. Their reputation precedes them. 
I remember the hype when The Exorcist was re-released in a cinema in the UK. There was a lot of chatter and electricity in the air. The likes of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre had this almost seedy quality to it. Like you shouldn't be watching such a grimy thing. But it's surprising how little gore you actually see on screen. Turns out, they were just films. Great films, no doubt, but just films. The controversy was unfounded. The decades of exile weren't justified. I was playing Grand Theft Auto in my early teens while these classic horrors were left out in the wilderness. We as a society were gaslit into believing a specific narrative, vindicated as a means of protecting us, when the reality revealed the stark truth. I don't know, maybe I shouldn't let it get to me as much. But every time something in pop culture is blamed for a tragic event, I feel there's a collective sigh amongst everyone with common sense. Take the Jamie Bolger case that we brought up in our Chucky episode. Before the government gives any credence to the sensationalism that the media was puking up, before that results in a horror movie being banned for nine years because of the most trivial connection to a horrific child murder, perhaps you make the time for real journalism and consider the economical and sociological factors that caused those 10-year-olds to kill. You know what I'm saying? Banning a horror movie or a video game doesn't resolve the problem that caused this tragedy. It's a token gesture. It panders to the public hysteria that was brought on by the media. And once that settles down, everyone has already forgotten and moved on. While the poison is still coursing through society, and we're no closer to finding the antidote. I don't mind what your idealisms and beliefs are, as long as they don't infringe on how we live our lives in society. It's when someone in power tries to force their own ideology on everyone else, that's what pisses me off. If your aim is to restore Victorian values, what is that suggesting? It suggests you're afraid of losing control. What values did Victorians have? How many voices were suppressed at that time? If you felt the upheaval of the 60s led to a permissive society, it's likely because you fear the freedom of people liberally expressing themselves. You fear the people having the right to voice their opinions. Every time the government tightens its grip, whether through prohibition, banning video nasties, or even locking down entire countries, doesn't matter if you deem it the right thing for us. People will only tolerate it for so long before they inevitably rebel. Because that is simply human nature and you can't control how we are. And that's that. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it put some things into perspective and you learned how insane censorship was in the UK back in the day. Thankfully, things have relaxed since then. We wouldn't be able to enjoy all these great horror films if it weren't. Let us know what you thought of this format for this episode. Every so often we do a research heavy episode like this when Sam needs a break. As usual, you can find us on Instagram at ScaringSamPod, Twitter at ScaringSamPod, and you can also contact us at ScaringSamPod at gmail.com. I'm James, and this was Scaring Sam. See you next time, you beautiful, wonderful people. Bye-bye now.